Hello and welcome to the How The Fuck podcast. This week I'm interviewing Michael Norris, the CMO of Utech, the marketing and design agency. He also hosts Utalk, a podcast about business and marketing, which I was interviewed on a couple of weeks back uh, about how I built this podcast and brand building in general. So please go check that out if you're interested in that. I honestly haven't listened to it yet because I can't bear to watch myself on camera. So please let me know how it is. In this week's episode, we focus on Michael's work with one of his earlier clients, Urban Matter, which is a news and entertainment website, kind of like Time Out, which they grew to a large following and a ton of monthly website visitors through SEO, pay-per-click campaigns, viral marketing, and inbound marketing in general. In this episode, I dig deeper into how Michael approaches SEO, what tools he uses, how he does keyword research, where he starts with clients, and how to drive leads that way, whether you're a website or a B2B software agency. So if you're looking for an SEO refresher, this is your episode. Before we go into the rest of the podcast, I want to let you know that I have launched a newsletter onto Substack, which contains all of the resources that I've learned from over the past few weeks. And it also kind of takes my own analysis on these articles. Because we've moved this podcast to a more of a bi-weekly schedule, I've had much more time to actually focus on delivering a newsletter that is really valuable rather than a podcast announcement newsletter which mostly it has been in the past. One quick example from last week's newsletter is my analysis of an SEO technique that's been getting lots of companies crazy results from like zero to 100,000 visitors within six to 12 months of starting and it doesn't look dodgy either so that's good. I'll link the sub stack in the podcast or you can find it on thefuck.com. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. I'm happy to be here. My, my pleasure to have you on. I thought we would a good place to start always, I think, for me, is just to hear a bit about your journey into marketing and becoming a CMO and just yeah, what your kind of journey has been in marketing. Yeah, I've got a little bit of an unusual journey, I think, in that my parents owned a marketing agency when I was growing up. So after oh. the age of about 10, my dinner conversations have always centered around marketing and business and all that kind of stuff, agency <laughs> life. And to be honest with you, when I was growing up, I, I hated it. <laughs> I didn't talk about it all the time. And I was like, oh God, you guys are talking about work again. But it was good. You know, I, I always told myself I would never get into marketing and you know, going through college and stuff. I wanted to be an attorney. I got a philosophy degree. I, I ended up being a law clerk at a family law firm and I absolutely hated it. And it was rough. The attorneys would fall asleep during the day and they hated their lives. And I was like, okay, I cannot do this. So I ended up getting a job right out of college with my philosophy degree, which luckily my parents owned a marketing agency because it's probably not easy to get a job with a philosophy degree otherwise. And uh, I studied under them for about a year or so. I was a project manager, but I was doing a lot of things outside what a project manager would normally do because I was their son and they wanted to teach me and groom me along and everything like that. A year later, I, I got a LinkedIn message from our current COO at UTech and she had gone to college with me. And during that time, we had one class together, nothing crazy, but she was really good friends with my roommate and UTech was looking for a project manager, my current company. So she shot me a message and said, hey, would you like to interview? I said, sure. And I came in and interviewed with our CEO and I got presented this project. Everything went well, they hired me and this project was called Chicago Genie, which now is called Urban Matter, which I think will be the main subject of our, our talk today. But I worked on that project for a while and I was project manager on that for about two years or so. Still a client today. 
still growing and everything, but I was doing, I was writing all the content. I was doing the emails. I was doing social media. I was doing our social media ads. I was doing our Google ads. I was doing the SEO, really kind of everything of a full funnel marketing solution. I was posting things on Reddit. I was, I was all over the place. I was doing all kinds of stuff. And we essentially built the site from scratch and developed a big audience. And from that, I got recognized by our CEO and I got promoted to director level. At the time we were, when I got hired, I was the 10th employee in the company. So we were pretty small. We're up to about 60 now. Because of that, there was a lot of opportunity for growth. And I just took over our entire marketing department. We had, when I started, I think we had five to 10 marketing clients on retainer wasn't a ton. And I started doing services for those clients outside of just the big client I was working on. And uh, things just grew and developed over time. I, I was promoted from there to VP and I was overseeing our marketing things and everything. And then eventually got promoted to CMO. And uh, we've got another VP under me who's excellent as well. And he really rocks stuff. He's like my chief general with getting things done. So it's been a, it's been a great journey and a great ride and it's come full circle. Wow. Cool story. What's been the difference for you? between being like director versus VP and then CMO? One thing that I miss is being really hands-on with projects because I was in the weeds and you could ask me a question about any given account that I worked on and I could tell you, I could rattle off. The click-through rate on that campaign is this and this is our cost per click and this is the type of creative we're using. This is our copy. This is our messaging. Here's what the landing page looks like. Here's what we're A-B testing on it. I knew everything down to the, the very minute details. And so conversations with clients were, were extremely easy because I was, I was, I knew literally everything that was going on with it. Mm -hmm. Whereas now as a CMO, I'm, I oversee these things, but on a macro level, right? I'm setting the process for how we go about analyzing these things. And I expect the people below me to know that information and to shoot that up to me when I need to know it or when there's something that needs to be brought to my attention that's out of the ordinary, but I'm not in the weeds anymore. And the big thing, I don't want to call it a fear because when you're, when you're CMO, it's different. You're closer to the top of the business. You understand the business more than you would at a lower level. And you understand business operations and things of that nature. So it's a change in skill set for sure. And you've got to, you've got to adapt to that. But I, I miss just marketing things. It was, it was carefree and easy and it was, it was a nice world. Not that I dislike my job now because I absolutely love it and it's definitely better, but it's just a change. I, I'm not someone who's producing a ton of my own work in a sense. I, I might produce content like this, which is great. And I help market us and I'm doing all these things behind the scenes. But at the end of the day, how they execute is how I'm judged on my job. So I'm happy for them whenever they excel and I want them to continue to excel and I can just chill behind the scenes and do fun stuff like this podcast. I can definitely see why you would miss being in the weeds, but I think it would also sounds quite nice to be sitting at the back and, and doing the strategy at the high level stuff. It's definitely great. Yeah, I, I do. It's so fun, to be honest with you, to to create the entire strategy from the ground up. This is what we're going to do. This is what I believe is going to work. There's a, there's a lot of risk that comes with that as well. I know CMOs have the shortest tenure of all C-suite execs, and I can understand how that is because marketing's tough to tie into sales goals in the same way that a chief revenue officer you might tie into sales goals or a CFO. Those are positions where are, are people making their dials? What is their conversion rate on, on meetings to, to deals? All those kind of things. Whereas marketing is, okay, are we getting enough leads? What, how many MQLs are coming in? Does that necessarily always translate to revenue? I, I think it needs to. And I think a CMO needs to be really in tune with their sales team 
But at the end of the day, that whole course of action, there are a lot of things that go unmeasured, like your brand. And even this podcast, I've mentioned it a couple of times now, but this will have some sort of impact, right? On our business operations. People will see this, people will hear this, and this will do something for our brand. It may influence a purchasing decision down the road, but I don't think I'm really going to be able to quantify that on my end and, and prove that this is something that I need to be doing on a day-to-day basis. So it requires belief from the CEO and you really need a CEO who believes in marketing and what you're doing and the general direction of everything for you to continue to excel long-term. Otherwise you end up focusing on things that really only generate direct response like leads for you, which is probably going to be direct response advertising and, and things of that nature, which advertising I think falls under marketing, but it's not marketing in the sense, in the same sense that content marketing might be. That's, it's such a tricky, I can, you can just see where all of the inconsistencies create that whole problems with the marketing. Like you hear Chris Walker talking about just the fact that everyone focuses on leads that aren't even quality and you can see why that has happened. And I think you're, you're absolutely right that you you need someone in charge who actually sees the value of marketing without the numbers. Definitely. And I, I just recently discovered Chris Walker. I, I had a guest on my show and he told me about Chris Walker and I've been listening to his stuff. And that's, it seems like that's one of the main points he hammers home. And I, I, I totally agree. It's tough to do. And, and in today's world, people are used to being able to attribute everything, right? Mm-hmm. You've got analytics on your website. You've got Facebook pixels, everything. You can track calls. You can record the calls, listen to the calls, all that kind of stuff. But if, you know, back in the day, if you look at marketing, you're running a, a TV spot or a billboard, those kind of things, you don't necessarily know exactly what that's translating to. And I think a little bit of that has gotten lost over time where people today just expect everything to be tracked. And it, it, it is what it is. That's the world we live in. And hey, I like tracking. Don't get me wrong. I think tracking is great. Data is awesome. You should make data-driven decisions whenever possible, but understand that there are limitations to the data as well. And, and know that sometimes you kind of got to go with your intuition as to what's working and what's not. Definitely. So yeah, it'd be nice to talk about then a little bit more detail about your success there with Urban Matter. Definitely. Um, Just to give a quick sort of intro to it, like what was the main purpose of Chicago Genie and Urban Matter? So initially the, the purpose was we were contracted by a client who's still a client today who owns a bunch of parking garages in the city of Chicago. And that's Inner Park. People in Chicago, and actually they have locations throughout the entire U.S. There's a green P associated with those garages. It's pretty recognizable when you see them. And they had this unique issue where technology was coming into their business in a way it had not previously. And what I mean by that is people have always driven to big cities like Chicago, needed a place to park. They come in, they pay a lot of money in some cases, and they park right? What's been happening is there are these apps that have come into place that have disrupted that market. So if you look at Spot Hero as one or ParkWiz is another one, there, there are a few other competitors that have popped up and they all do the same thing. But what they do is they create a convenience in that you're able to book a parking spot before you even leave your home. And so you type all that in, you, you say where you want to park or you say where you're going, it'll recommend a garage. You book your spot, that spot is going to be there when you get there and they undercut the price. So it's great for the consumer, but on the parking garage side, what's happening is 
they're cannibalizing their own rates. Whereas these people may have come in anyway and parked there. Now what they're doing is they're paying less for that spot and they're coming in. We developed, and this was based off the HubSpot inbound mentality, and this was something that I inherited coming into the job. We developed a website where we were going to create content, Chicago Genie, and we were going to drive people to these parking garages as CTAs and things. So we were going to write about events. We were going to write about restaurants, bars, general goings on in, in the area surrounding these garages, which we did not excel at. I'll be, I'll be entirely honest. We had to pivot because what ended up happening was built this website from scratch, creating all this great content. We're getting eyes on it and we were not getting enough parking to justify the client's expense on this. So what ended up happening, and it's lucky, uh, you know, we're lucky that this man is a savvy businessman because he really is. And he saw the opportunity and wherever you've got people's focus and attention and you're developing an audience, there's definitely value to that. And we ended up pivoting. We stopped trying to sell parking we made this into its own business entity and we expanded to other cities. So we changed the name. Chicago Genie obviously isn't going to work when you're in Phoenix. So we changed the name to Urban Matter, which is what it is today. If you go to urbanmatter.com, you'll see the homepage. You're able to go from there to, we've got four different cities now, Minneapolis, Phoenix, Chicago, and I actually forget the other one off the top of my head, but we're in four cities. And then we've got a more national brand as well. And we pivoted to start selling ads. We, we grew a really big audience too, and we were making some pretty good money off the ads. We use this company called Ad Thrive, which gives you a lot more for your traffic than a Google AdSense or something of that sort, but you need to have a certain amount of traffic to be able to engage with. They don't do it with everyone. And then just recently on the Chicago side, we started selling merch as well, which we're, we're expecting to take off. We're, we're going to continue developing new Chicago-based slogans and things, putting them on t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, all that kind of stuff. Each week, we're going to create new stuff and, and sell it for pretty reasonable prices. So that's a new venture to make even more money based on what we're doing. But overall, it's just, it's a super fun project because you're essentially creating a content marketing funnel with valuable content that people like, and you're not trying to force leads to come in the door. There really are no leads anymore. It's just getting eyes on things. You get that ad revenue from it. And then, hey, we'll sell you some cool merch too at the same time. Interesting. Yeah. I think we have some something kind of similar in London, which is like timeout or I think it's called timeout. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I would say they're our biggest competitor. They essentially do exactly what we do. They've got a bigger team than us. They're, I think they're based out of London as well. Mm -hmm. And they've actually started expanding in, in Chicago, actually. They built a food market. I don't know if they have these over in London as well, but it's mm -hmm. it's a bunch of restaurants and like a little plaza and people go there to eat and stuff. And it's branded as Time Out, which I think is a great idea. I think they also have a magazine too, which is mm -hmm. an area we're, we're probably never going to tackle, but I don't think they sell merch. So maybe we got that on them. Yeah, definitely. So what are we talking about when you say we grew a big audience? Like how has your growth been over the last, what is it for? Uh, it's been about five and a half. Yeah. So we obviously started with zero day one. We had no recognition whatsoever to date now we've got probably about 55,000 Facebook followers on our Chicago page, which again was like our main city. The others, we've started allocating more resources to them more recently. And those kind of came about recently. Altogether, those have a, a much smaller following. The main base is still in Chicago. You know, we've probably got about 10,000 people. I think our email list is about 20,000 overall. So we've built a pretty nice platform, but it was fun to see it grow along the way because Definitely. Originally, doing this five, six years ago, Facebook was a much different place for sharing content. 
you could put out links to your stuff, your followers would see it and they'd click on it. So we initially grew pretty much everything by posting viral Facebook articles. And for the longest time, I would say 80, 90% of our traffic was coming from Facebook. Mm -hmm. After we realized this was maybe three or four years ago, we were like, this isn't going to be a good long-term strategy. People come in, they view one article, they, they buy they're coming from social media you know what this piques their attention in the moment it's a great image it's a great headline great article but they were interested in that one thing and they're not really interested in continuing to click around anymore so we pivoted pretty hard and we we started throwing a lot of our eggs in the seo basket and from that now i would say it, it's completely flip-flopped 80 90 percent of our traffic comes from seo whereas previously that was all facebook but we also did early on we we got a decent amount of traffic i, I want to say this was like like, you know, our first month into it, we got 5,000 hits on an article that came from Reddit, which, you know, was big for us at the time. We needed to get 5,000 people in that first month was pretty exceptional for us. Now that's just Red a drop Red in the bucket, but that was nice. Reddit is really, it's insane how many people are there. Honestly, isn't it? Like you can, I've had a few posts get like 200 upvotes and they, they that gets thousands of people to come and click that link actually. Yeah, it's a little bit of an enigma in the marketing world. It's a tough nut to crack because that's different. They have their own set of rules, but then you've got Reddit, the overarching rules for the entire platform and it polices itself. People don't like you posting spammy links or, or trying to promote your own content at all. So you, you almost have to preface every link you post to your own site with, hey, this is actually valuable. Don't yeah. create because otherwise people will. They'll slam you up against the wall. And we've, I've been shadow banned from Reddit before where you don't even know that you're not allowed to post on Reddit anymore and you, you post things and no one sees it at all. That's happened to me on a couple of accounts that I tried to just mm -hmm. do too much with. So I, I think the general rule there, if you read Reddit Kid, is one out of every 10 posts can be self-promotional. And that was that's what we abide by today. But that's been our strategy with it thus far. How would you, when you were creating the viral, the content that you're aiming to try to get viral traffic, did you know that it would go viral? Did you design it to do that? Like, how did you make it happen? Great point. So one of the things we did, and this was a this was a creative idea that my CEO actually thought of, but we sports teams in Chicago at the time were doing really well. We had the Cubs who won the World Series in 2016. The Blackhawks, our hockey team, had won three championships in a period of about five years. And every year we would have these parades throughout the city. And we timed this, we timed this very well in that we wanted to be the first post out to talk about the parade as the Blackhawks and Cubs won the, the World Series in the Stanley Cup. So what we did is we had an article ready to go. We had everything except the actual dates in place of when the parade was going to be. And we started shooting this out all over social media right as those games ended. Like we, we timed it everywhere perfectly. We put it on Reddit. We put it on Facebook. We put it on Instagram. We put it on Twitter everywhere. And it got a ton of retweets. I mean, it got a ton of shares, everything. And, and that was without us even having the information in. And one or two hours later, a beat reporter who follows the team comes out with the actual information on it. And we updated our article with it. And it had already been shared so many times that just accelerated it because we were the first one out to, who announced this is where you're going to get the information for it. As soon as it's announced, it's not announced yet. Everyone was on top of it. They kept clicking back. They actually crashed our servers because we had gotten so much traffic in such a short amount of time. I think at one point we overnight, we grabbed about somewhere between 200 to 300,000 hits to our site. And um, we just weren't prepared for that amount of traffic at all. So we upgraded our servers. Now we can handle stuff like that, but that was one super creative way that we 
definitely planned to go viral and it worked. Honestly, it was so cool to click into Google Analytics and just click refresh and you'd see two, 3,000 more people click refresh again. And I don't even know that that we honestly tracked at all because the site was down. So I don't even know we had the analytics code in our header. I don't even know that was loading. So who knows how many hits we actually got? I have no idea. Did you have already like an email list at that point? or like a Facebook following? Or is it just, how did you distribute it in Facebook? Yeah, we did have a little bit of a following at that point. Like I said, we had gotten a little bit of traction from Reddit earlier, and then things were just gradually growing on a month to month basis. When you're doing something organically, you're putting multiple articles out every single day. People were starting to engage. We did have that email list and stuff. That that was really good, but we also did, we augmented that with ads. The second we, and this is something I think we did really well in both that situation and others. The second we saw anything start to get shared comments, clicks, traffic on social media. I was on that like a hawk. I, I dove right into ads manager. I put like a ton of ad money on it within our budget, of course, which is roughly $10,000 a month. I took that and I just augmented that content big time. And we were really close at, at watching our, our cost per click on that. And with our really good articles, things like that. And then we had another one where we talked about this winter wonder fest at Navy Pier in Chicago, which went super viral too. That one had like 500,000 hits viral for us. And we would look at our cost per click. And when it was about one cent, we knew we were crushing it. And we would just ramp that up exponentially until you know, it got to two cents, three cents. And then once that gets to four or five cents, we'd have some other articles that we were also boosting. And we would just, I was literally doing this hour by hour. I'd go in, I'd look at, okay, this one's gotten up to seven, eight cents per click. I can double my site hits if I change this to one that's getting four cents per click. Yeah. And obviously those best ones are at one cent. So we were crushing it there and it was just being really attentive in, in ways that I'm, I'm sure a lot of other people couldn't, but that was my entire job. And that was the main KPI I was looking at, get people to the site, show them those ads and, and get it going. So I was on top of it. I think that's a really good lesson just to be watching what hits the right spot, what resonates and then double down on it. Actually. Yeah. You don't, if you're trying to promote your content, you want to make sure it works before you put money on it. If, if it's, if you're promoting content to an audience that it just really isn't resonating with, you're wasting your money. So definitely, I think a, a lesson to take out of this, if you're listening is watch and see what works organically and augment that with money. Don't just throw money at your content. Yeah. I think that's a great point. How would you translate this into, I guess, the world of like a B2B SaaS company? Do you have a view on that? Like what kind of content would you be creating? Would you be creating this kind of viral type content to push leads? I don't think it's going to be to the same extent. Obviously, I don't think you're going to one cent cost per click. B2B is obviously a lot harder. There's going to be less eyes on it. But I do think there is an opportunity for it. And I would say to use your social media as a listening tool and have conversations in a sense with your audience. So post things, see what works, see what doesn't. You're going to know over time what's working with people. Double down on that kind of stuff. Take your phone calls your sales guys are having, record those if you can. If not, sit in on them, sit in on the meetings, talk to potential customers, talk to customers, listen to the words they use. Don't try to use your own words, talk to them in their language. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think there's opportunity to create exceptional content that people really enjoy, but it, it just needs to be done very attentively. And it, it's not going to be the same as posting about a parade that millions of people are going to go to. That yeah. would be, but it definitely still value. And I, I myself, I'm a huge believer in content marketing, uh, definitely, especially because we're an agency and all agencies do is run ads. If we try to compete with other agencies running ads, 
that's tough. They're good at it too. How are we going to set ourselves apart? I think content and branding and all that is really one of the main ways to set yourselves apart. And there are a lot of brands that do it well. So with the clients that you work with at the moment, do you help them through this like B2B side creating content? Yes, definitely. And it's, it's two different extents. I mean, we've One of our, our biggest services here, and I think one thing that we're absolutely exceptional at would be SEO. And so we're really good at, at attracting that search traffic and knowing the intent because that's so important. You've got informational intent, you've got branded intents or they're specifically looking for a specific brand or you've got commercial intent and your commercial intent that's essentially going to be your products and your informational intent is going to be the questions that people are asking that pertain to your given industry so looking at that search volume ascertaining is this something where I'm going to be able to tackle and actually get a good ranking on this that's something that we definitely do. Outside of that, FAQ pages are huge for any SaaS company or anyone who's in B2B that might have questions about how your service runs or what you might do, even for current clients. And I think that's something that also gets overlooked is you can still market to your current clients. And it's something that I'm, it's going to be a big endeavor for me in 2021 is I want to create content for our current clients with the focus on them seeing us as more knowledgeable and a better partner and also somewhat entertaining too, so that they refer more business to us. Because truthfully, that's the channel that works for us the most is referrals. So I'm not out here trying to reinvent the wheel or post all this content. That's, I I, don't get me wrong. I want to post content that's going to get new customers outright. And then, then that does happen with our video interview show and things that we do. But at the same time, I, I also think there's a, a lot of value in just regularly recurring emails to your customers about things that they might be interested in and keep it entertaining too. When people, when you think about things that really get people's attention, it's education or it's entertainment for the most part. If you can mix those together and not be just another bland brand that's out there, I've actually heard the term blands thrown around lately. I think that's pretty good. You, you don't want to just be like everyone else and be super professional and all buttoned up in your mm-hmm. nice formal gowns and all that kind of stuff and put out boring stuff because no one wants to read that. Let's be honest. We're all people. And I'm going to be, you're still marketing to humans regardless. There's not a CMO out there who sees your post and thinks like, or sees your ad and they're like, oh, this isn't targeted for B2B. This is targeted at humans. Like, no way. That's not going to happen. We're all people. So create content for people because you're marketing to people always. Yeah. I think I have that exact philosophy, to be honest. I think there's a, yeah, I'd really like the way B2C brands market. And I just don't see why B2B people can't do that more. There's so many brands. There are brands doing it really well. Absolutely. Yeah. And one, one company I think does this really well. I don't know if you're familiar with Dave Gerhardt. I think Privy does this very well. And, and Dave Gerhardt himself does this very well as well. And he also talks about this too. I, I, at the end of the day, people are so inundated with seeing the same kind of things over and over again. And if you can break the mold on that, plain text emails that come directly from your CMO versus an HTML design email that looks just like the thousand others that all these execs get in their inbox each day, that's going to that's gonna stick out a little bit more. And there is that 100%? Is that a foolproof method? No. But all these little things, when you compile them together and you really try to just be different and resonate with the people on the other end, it adds up. And, and you'll see larger success rates if you do those things. Definitely. If we Can we like just go into the SEO side a little bit more? I think, like you said, you guys are an expert in, in SEO. I think SEO feels like a long-term 
sort of investment like you don't see the results straight away would you agree with that is there a way is there other ways that you can get more immediate results it's definitely a long-term play right if if you're signing on for seo or you hire seo experts to work for you you need to understand that this is not something that you're going to see an roi for in in month one month two month three maybe even a year it depends on your industry and the, the difficulty of ranking. But I will say generally, we see results in about six months. I know Google has produced some blog posts and things of that nature that says it takes at least a year. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I don't think that that's totally true, but be prepared for it to last a year if you're going to invest in it long term. And what steps do you take in that? So you say the results in six months, what do you do in that six months to get that, to start seeing, I don't know if it's traffic or leads, let's say leads, ideally. Immediately, before anything starts, you want to do your research, right? You want to know, like in our case, we'll get in contact with the decision makers at the business. And we, we have a huge rundown of questions that we ask them. It's probably like 50, 60 questions about their business, their target market, what sets them apart, their competitors, what do their competitors do? What do they do better than their competitors? All that kind of stuff. So that we have a full scope of you know, what we're working with before we go in. We then try to match all that up with search terms in their industry. And at the end of the day, you want to look at keywords that are generating leads for you or sales if people can purchase online. Intent. Don't, sorry, what? So, sorry, so like keywords with intent. Exactly. And, and you can see this if, if you do it. There are solutions that do this for you. There's a, a, I don't even know what you call them, a software out there that connects to Google Analytics. It's called Keyword Hero. And it can show you exactly what keywords are generating conversions for you. And that's our general mentality, right? It's great to rank number one for that service that the client told you, I want to rank number one for this. That's generally what people who are uneducated about SEO think. They think there's this one term and I want to rank number one for that term. And that becomes their full focus. We try to get people out of that mentality and think that might be good. That term might be good, but it might not be good. And there might be other terms that are more low hanging fruit for you that you might not even realize are generating these conversions for you at the end of the day. So we try to get them out of that mentality and back that up. But to answer your question, because I've gone off on a little bit of a tangent here, we start with technical SEO. We'll go in and we'll look at your site speed. We'll look at your robots text file. We'll look at your site map. All those kind of things that are gonna, that the search engines, when they crawl your site, they're gonna look at and they're gonna use to determine the hierarchy of your website and your alt text on your images, explaining what those are, all that kind of stuff. So that's number one for us right after the keyword research. And then after we go from that point, it's setting up all their citations and things for local businesses, making sure their Google My Business is all set up, making sure their name, address, phone number, website is the is consistent across all platforms on the web. Because whether you know this or not, if you have a local address, there are directories out there that are just auto-creating these listings for you. And the search engines at the end of the day want to serve you, the, the customer on the other end. Search engine like Google, let's use Google for example. Google is the best search engine because when you search for something on Google, you're going to get the most relevant results and they're gonna be accurate. Search mm-hmm. engines have to be accurate 100% of the time. If Google gives you something that's inaccurate, you might switch to Bing, right? This might not be the best solution for me. So if I'm Googling a business and Google's unsure based on all the different places it's crawled throughout the web, all these different directories, 
what your actual phone number is, it's not going to rank you number one. It, it, it might not even rank you at all because it doesn't want to serve that inaccurate information. If it's got more accurate information and it knows these, all these directories across the web, including Google My Business, this is the consistent information for this business, boom, they automatically have a better chance of ranking number one. So for local businesses, I definitely recommend that right mm -hmm. there. Outside of that, that's when we start to get into more in-depth keyword research content marketing, things of that nature. We'll create content that solves the problems that people might be having. What, what are the solutions to those problems? And it doesn't necessarily need to be product focused. You can drive traffic to these pages, internal link them to your product and category pages and, and drive conversions that way. And also transfer some of that, that link juice, we call it, to those pages, give them more authority too. Moz, for example, came out with a metric called domain authority back in the day. And it's on a scale of one to 100. And your domain has this overall score based on how many backlinks you've got, how long you've been around. It, it tries to model Google's algorithm in terms of how it might rank you. Then every page has their own authority as well on a scale of one to 100. Now, for example, Amazon's got a domain authority of 100. Anytime Amazon, like they, they create a new page or someone posts a new product, that product's got a really high chance of ranking because the domain authority is so high. Even though that page authority, it's a brand new page, it's gonna have a zero, but that, that domain is so high. Now, for on the B2B side, for other brands, you might not have that kind of domain authority, right? You might be like a 10 or a 20 out of 100, and you might have a blog post that gets a ton of traffic for you. That blog post might have a 70 or 80 score. What you wanna do is you wanna link, internally link some of the things in that blog post to other pages that you want to rank well. And that spreads that link juice around. Yeah, and it's gonna depend a lot on how many back backlinks you have coming to any individual page or your overall domain. And you want a, you want a pretty big mix of follow links and no follow links. Your follow links are definitely more important. Those are gonna be the ones where you can really, those are the ones that transfer link juice externally. So from other websites to you, whereas a no follow link might be a link from Wikipedia or from Facebook, because anyone can post things on those sites and just get a link back to their site. It doesn't count. Those sites don't allow that to count. But having a good mix shows the search engine that you're a real business. I've seen a lot of businesses that have all follow links, like 100% of their links are follow links. And I've seen them, this was a CBD business. I saw them get hit so hard by Google. Google recognized this and they were like, there's no way that's natural link building that's really? going on for this business. And they penalize them. They drop them off the rankings entirely. You, you can see some case studies on it. I actually, I don't remember the brand. I think it might've been Pure Canna, but they got hit really hard. Wow. Yeah, there are a lot of black hat tactics out there that still work, right? Like people pay for links all day. And it, it's hard, link building is hard. It is the hardest part of SEO yeah. by far. It's not easy to get other people. You, you contact someone who owns a website, right? Or who has pull over there. You try to get them to link back to your content by somehow telling them that it's going to have value for their audience. That's not an easy pitch, right? It's almost like a cold sales email. You're not going to have a huge success rate on that. So some people will just go out and they'll have a massive budget. And I think this is what Pure Canada did. Pure Canada, if you didn't do this, I'm sorry. But I think what they did is they had a budget of, well, let's call it a million dollars, a nice round number. And they went out and they just paid thousands of websites for links. And they get all these links coming back to them all right away. Looks fishy to Google. 
bam, they get slapped with that. Now, I don't recommend anyone engage in any type of black hat strategies for the most part, because they're not going to last long term. If you're trying to do SEO and you're trying to build something and that's going to keep growing and keep going up in terms of rankings and traffic and, and ultimately leads, conversion, sales, you've got to do it the right way because these algorithms, an update's going to come around. It's going to knock off whatever it was you were doing that was fishy and you're going to lose all that. So don't invest your time and effort into it because it's not worth it. These companies are so smart. They've got all this machine learning AI going into it. They're going to sniff you out eventually if they haven't yet. And you've got to just be ready for that. So just do what the search engine wants you to do, whether it's what you want to do or not, and you'll be successful long term. And what is that creating really valuable content that people want to link to? Yeah, I, it, it, it depends on the search intent. Again, if it's a quick question and it's what is how many days are in February, the search engine wants to just populate an answer for those people because they're asking a quick question. They don't need a massive article on that. So what you'd want to do is you would still create a, a big article on it, but you would have a portion where you just answer that question and you'd put schema data in that to make sure that the search engine picked it up. You're, that gives you a chance to propel you to the top of the results where Google's just going to populate that answer, but you're still going to, you're going to have a huge click-through rate on that because you're the top result. And people who want to read more about maybe why February is 28 days in it, they'll click into that and they'll, they'll read all your content. They'll get that article. So obviously that's an example that I don't think many businesses would use, but that's the type of thing you need to engage in is the search engine wants to feed people exactly what they're looking for quickly, accurately, and exactly how they want it in the format they want it. So that could be video. That could be a long form blog post. That could just be like a quick little snippet, right? It could be a lot of different things for a lot of different terms. And you just have to identify what that is. And a quick, easy way to do it is honestly to Google something, look at the top 10 things that rank for it, identify commonalities. And that's usually the intent of that, that given term there. That's why the search engine ranked it that way. Definitely. And it's always frustrating when you do search something and it's just not what you wanted. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, that's why I like Reddit though, because you can find what you're looking for a lot, even though the search functionality on Reddit sucks. So maybe search on Google for things on Reddit, toss Reddit in there. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good idea for sure. How do you I think just the last question before we finish up? Sure. I think it would be good to like, where do you start with keyword research? Like, mm -hmm. how do you make sure that you are, that you can actually get, guess sort of words with enough or some volume, but you can actually do the comp, like you can beat competition, you can somehow beat them and you're capturing the right people. We use Ahrefs here, which is to me the best SEO software I have ever come across. We, we used to use Moz. We used to use SEMrush. At one point, we used SEO PowerSuite 2. I think we still do use that one a little bit as well. But Ahrefs, it, it's got just it's phenomenal data in it. So you can see the search volume for a given term. You can see the difficulty of ranking for that term. They assign it a score. You can see how many sites in total rank for that given term. And then it'll assign it a difficulty score right there based on what it thinks is good for you. Now, you still need a human on the other end of that identifying it because what it tells you should be your number one priority might not align with your business goals, right? Like maybe you can get a ton of traffic on a term for your lowest selling product that you have no margin on. Okay, great. 
I, I don't really need to do that. Maybe that shouldn't be number one. Maybe that should be like number five on the list. And this other one that maybe was assigned a score that's iffy, but it's high priority for us. If we know the business's goals, we're going after that because that's, that's a gold mine. And we'll put all of our effort and focus into producing great content on that, getting some really good organic links from high domain authority sites to it. And uh, generally that strategy works out for us. And I, I do suggest that people augment their SEO strategy with with paid as well, because you can get a lot of data running PPC campaigns about search terms and then your landing pages and what people are looking for, what's converting highly on a given search term from your paid campaign. So definitely look at both too. And you, you get a ton of search term data when you're running Google search campaigns. You'll see everything that everyone has clicked, especially if you've got your keywords on broad match, which I suggest doing in the beginning to capture search intent data, but I wouldn't necessarily do that long term once you know what people are searching for, but definitely do that and have your PPC team talk to your SEO team too, or maybe you have the same person doing it, but they need to be looking at both channels and, and cross applying that search data. Definitely cool. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that in the PPC or the Google paid campaigns that we've done that you can see exactly what people searched for. And I thought that's what definitely what we're trying to feed back into the SEO team. Definitely. Without a doubt. Yeah. And, and like I mentioned previously, keyword hero, if you connect that to your Google analytics, you can see what keywords drove what clicks. Whereas analytics keeps that. I think right now you can see about 2% of that data. 98% is hidden. This flips that around. I think you can see 92% of the actual keyword that drove the click on a page rather than just seeing the landing page they came in on and if they converted from SEO. So I definitely recommend that. It's not a super expensive solution either. It's definitely something that's going to help you and will likely provide a long-term ROI for you. Cool, definitely. Would you actually put like ad spend behind an SEO article itself or would you be going just to put it yeah. Or would you be in just for landing pages with PPC? Yeah, that's, that's a, a really good question. I would consider doing it if you're going after a keyword with informational intent. And I might, I would look at a lot of different things. So I would look at, you know, what is the cost per click of something like that? Is it significantly cheaper than if I were to just go after something with more commercial intent that has a ton of people bidding on it? You, you might be paying $25 per click if you're and like H HVAC on HVAC near me in, in a given area. But if you were to look at a specific problem someone was having with replacing a filter, you could post that article. You could probably get like a dollar cost per click on something like that because people aren't bidding on it. And then you would just have to determine is my conversion rate from that blog post worth it when I can get 25 clicks here versus one click here and compare those conversion rates, compare the, the data you're getting. It, it could be a good strategy for you if you do it that way. Definitely. It makes a lot of sense. I think it's been super interesting talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, man, this has been great. I, I'm very happy to do this. And it's been a thoughtful conversation for me too. I love taking my abstract thoughts and putting them in a verbal format like this.